Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello, and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to talk to M. Hendricks about The Chaperone. Hello, M. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. This book is exciting and disturbing and sort of where we are in today's life, I think. Um, you've created a bit of a dystopian society. Um, tell us about the society you've created called New America. Well, um, I'm a person who's lived all over the country. I've lived in 12 states, and now I've lived in southern Kentucky for 15 years. Right. And it started to hit me over the past five or so years that we're really becoming more divided. And I started to wonder what would happen if our country really became so divisive that we split in two. And I would be living in the part of the country that would break off. And then I thought, what happens to all the young people who live in the part of the country that might break away from the United States, who maybe didn't choose to live in that new country, but their parents chose it for them. And that's how I came up with the idea for the chaperone, which tells the story of a 17 year old who grows up in new America because her parents made that choice for her. And it's a place where she has virtually no rights as a woman. You know, she's not allowed to drive or have a real career or go to college. Um, she has no bodily autonomy. And most importantly, she can't go out in public without a government assigned chaperone. I will tell you that's part of the frightening part of it because I, and sadly, in some ways, I almost feel like in certain parts of this country, we are not far from that. Mm -hmm. So let me read the byline. It says, in New America, girls are never alone. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of twisted. <laughs> So I did ask you before we were recording, did you grow up religious? I wouldn't say that. I would think most people would not consider my childhood that religious. I did grow up Catholic, but as you probably know, um, a lot of Catholics in America grew up in an um, environment rooted in social justice. I grew up in New Jersey, and I actually went to a school where the nuns who ran it were so liberal that they have now left the Catholic Church. Um, <laughs> So on the one hand, I did grow up with religion and I went to Catholic school. So I thought about religion, but it was very social justice oriented. It was about what you do for your neighbor. Um, I would say like Pope Francis would really fit in in this community where I grew up. Um, so, but I think when I think of religion in America, I think of it as being very, people think of it as fundamentalist mm -hmm. or evangelical. And it wasn't like that. Um, we were definitely of the... Um, belief that everyone should be treated well, all religions get into heaven. You know, I was raised to believe in heaven. I don't think I do anymore, but um, so it wasn't a traditionally American religious upbringing, but there was a lot of religion. The reason I asked that question is because I grew up really rather traditional religion, uh, evangelical. Um, we didn't talk in tongues, but it was a very restrictive religion. Right. And that was that was some things in your book that I remembered from my childhood that I would not necessarily call pleasant. I'm very fortunate in the fact that I had a good childhood. I don't want to besmirch that. But 
women were not allowed to wear pants in the church I grew up in. They wow. were just, yeah, they were discouraged from makeup, from dancing. Uh, a phrase I remember hearing was every date is a potential mate. I mean, the one date and you were already married. So, or potentially married to the wrong person. So I, I say all of that because in the chaperone, I see some of those things sort of being repeated mm -hmm. and in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, give us an idea about what the girls, and I say girls because they're under 18, are expected, what's expected of them. Well, I think that the big thing is that they are expected to keep themselves safe and it's incumbent on them to act in a way that is appropriate. I don't know if you saw this when I saw you in San Diego, but the publisher put together this little brochure of the danger protocol that girls are taught in New America. It says they have to deflect attention, abstain from sin, navigate the world with care, give obedience, embrace purity and respect your chaperone. And so if something happens to a girl in New America, it's understood that it's her fault. So it's kind of the opposite. I hope it's the opposite of our society now where we think if a man assaults a woman, he is to blame. In New America, the women are blamed and they're taught that they have to act very um, pure and puritanical mm -hmm. in order to avoid that. And when something happens to a girl, everyone thinks it's her fault. She brought it on herself. You know, going back to the way I was raised, I should add that when I was in the middle of my freshman year in high school, my parents moved to a small town in Northern Indiana. And I, I was for the first time in my life exposed to evangelical religions. And I was shocked. Um, and there was also just this attitude that women didn't go to college or didn't have jobs. So I think that the chaperone comes out of that as well. I do not experience that living in Southern Kentucky now. I think my community is very open-minded. I live in a college town. But I have seen it because I've lived all over the country. And so I think I'm trying to address that too, that I don't want women to think if they've grown up in a town like where I finished high school, that they can't do whatever they want to do. I know you personally. So I know that both of us believe in inclusion and mm -hmm. we believe in, in sharing and being responsible, not only for ourselves, but each other. But mm -hmm. in, in this new America, I see things that not only I saw growing up, but I know that my parents saw when they were growing up and my grandparents, I grew up in rural Eastern North Carolina and there was such a division. Women were supposed to be barefoot and pregnant and stuff like that. And those are, those are concepts I fought against my entire adult life because Everyone should be equal. Um, but in in reading The Chaperone, as I mentioned earlier, that's one of the scary things. You know, we have these girls who simply cannot be without a chaperone at all times. So what is a chaperone in New America? A chaperone, according to the government, which is run by, you know, there's like a minister of truth and a minister of purity, and underneath them are the constables who enforce the rules. They're kind of like the government wing. I mean, I would compare them to like the Gestapo, you know? Mm -hmm. um, they're different than the police. They're also police um, who are not really involved with the government directly. But 
in this society, girls are taught that they have to obey these rules that the constables teach them. And the whole point of the chaperone who's chosen by the constable is to teach girls how to act. But the secret that's going on in the book, if you, since you finished the book, and I don't think this is a spoiler, is to say that some of these chaperones are resisting this idea. And they don't want to indoctrinate girls to a life of servitude. They want to teach them to think for themselves. So even for her, uh, Stella's first chaperone, Sister Helen, is giving her books to read that she's not supposed to read. Um, a lot of the chaperones get together and trade banned books and say, let's give these to our charges and we'll hide them. And this is one of the ways that they're able to resist and change things. And I think that mirrors today's life, uh, sadly. Uh, what On the Sister Helen side, gladly, on the restriction and banning of books, sadly. I mean, you know, we have... We are in a place in this country where lots of communities are banning books. It's it's one thing if you say to your child, I prefer you didn't or you're not allowed to read. It's an entirely different thing when a society says that all of you are not allowed to read right. this. So, right. of course, I loved Sister Helen and Sister Laura because these were two people who were who were saying, I need you to open your mind. So. Yeah. That gave us hope in this book, in The Chaperone. Yeah. And then you put Stella in a family that you, we're not really sure where the family lies or where they stand on things. Was that something fun to write? Was it challenging to write? How did that come about? It was a lot of fun. Um, I think I really wanted to explore both the father-daughter and the mother-daughter relationship. I was very close to my father and... Um, we really got along. And, you know, I talk a lot when I go on the road about how my dad, even though he wouldn't use the word, he was a feminist. He taught me I could do anything a man could do. He told me I didn't have to get married. I could be with anyone I wanted. I didn't have to change my name or have children. And my mom took me to like feminist talks and lectures. It was, I grew up during the equal rights amendment uh, movement in the seventies. And so that was just my whole life. Now they wouldn't use the word feminist. They would say women's liber. All right. Yeah. Um, and even my dad believed in equality, but he would sometimes laugh if I said a man could be a feminist. He'd say, oh, come on now. <laughs> but he did believe in equality. And so he taught me that. Um, so but I also at the same time, my dad was traditional in many ways. He was very traditional Catholic, more traditional than the way I was raised in my Catholic school. And as a result, you know, we didn't vote for the same people and um, without getting too much into politics. And so we would butt heads and we still loved each other, but I wanted to show that a father and daughter could have struggles, but also love each other. Cause I think like even at the end of the book, when everything has come out that I won't give away, you still see these moments of tenderness between the father and daughter. And Stella says something at one point, like, I still wanted my dad. I still love my dad, even after everything that happened. And then the mother, um, I think because maybe, you know, um, I probably challenged gender roles a lot as a kid. You know, back when I was a kid, it was being a tomboy. And um, I just didn't think you had to buy into these things. And my parents told me I didn't. But because of that, maybe I held my mom and the maternal relationship at a little bit of a distance. And so I emulated that in the book, but I also wanted it to be 
that even though she's not close to her mother because she's closer to her chaperone, her mother is on her side. Um, I was inspired by The Handmaid's Tale um, a lot. I'm sure that's obvious. And I hope Margaret Atwood doesn't mind. Um, <laughs> but I, one thing I wondered is I wanted there to be women in The Handmaid's Tale who said, no, we're not putting up with this. We're going to start a resistance, which is why I wrote the book. And I love that. I mean, it gives us hope. I mean, in this this society of new America is very repressive. It's not especially oppressive to females. Right. So what we're looking at is there because Stella talks about going to college early on. I mean, mm -hmm. there is it's not that they're not all held back from any kind of education. That's not the situation. But there is never a time when they're alone, which I absolutely have to have some alone time sometimes. Yeah. And some people, they're the exact opposite. Some people want someone by their side 24-7. I am not that person. So I would have I would have been climbing the walls to have had a chaperone. <laughs> but if you grew up in that society and as soon as you started puberty, you had the chaperone, you might not know any different. That and that's very that's very evident in your book, and that's one of the things that you get to see the evolution of Stella. Even though there are other people who have their eye on her, mm -hmm. it is something that you know she's evolving and growing. So you have uh, you have some climbers. Will you tell us what climbers are? I I really thought that was the cutest. Oh, thanks. Well, the climbers are the young men or boys in the high school who they want to focus on making money. You know, the book is as much about gender as it is about, or as much about class as it is about gender. So they're very focused on making money, going to college, having a certain kind of wife. And I mean, I think of the climbers as the guys in our society, can I say this, who would be Trump supporters. Yes. Um, and they don't really want to have real relationships with women. They don't want to talk to women. They just want to treat them as objects and baby makers. Um, so they're the most, you know, the people who no one in the high school likes. A lot of the guys don't even like them. They're just, they think they're better than everyone and they're just focused on what they can get out of society and women. Um, so they're kind of awful people. <laughs> well, and they are in real life as well as in your book, because I think, you used a phrase, they just want to use uh, women yeah. for, to get ahead. And any time in life that we use someone else to simply further our agenda, we've already lost, in Dan's opinion. And Dan has lots of opinions. You're so <laughs> smart, Dan. Yes, we're in this together. We're in this together. So is this book, is this a, it is a standalone because it's number one, but you've written this as a trilogy. Is that right? I've planned it as a trilogy. I've plotted the other uh, books. Um, and I mean, like, there are a lot of Star Wars themes and the Hunger Games themes, the way that a trilogy plays out that way. Um, and I hope to be working on it. We'll see. You know, I need to focus on selling the first book and getting it in the hands of readers. One of the big reasons I wrote this book, I don't know if you notice, it's dedicated to all the young people out there who long for a better world. And I want this book to give it them hope. You know, I um I did another podcast where they said they thought the whole book was going to be dark, and then they got to part two and it started to be hopeful. And I wanted to write a book about a dystopian society that doesn't feel so dark that you don't have hope. And I think I did this. I you tried. Did. I tried to write a book that young people will read and feel hope 
and feel inspired to fight. Um, I was really inspired by Anne Frank's Diary of a Young Girl when I was in high school. Um, I mean, it couldn't have been any worse. No. And yet she still had hope and she still tried. Maybe I'm just an optimist. I don't know. <laughs> you are. And I, it's one of the things I love about you. But I also, that is one of the things that you succeeded in the book you wrote. There is hope. Yeah. And there are people along the journey of Stella that are, they bring her hope and they remind her of possibilities with, and that's a wonderful thing as a reader, because I sometimes like to read something that's totally dark, but it takes a bit of your soul. You have to sort of set your soul aside so you can get through it. The chaperone has dark moments, but it's mm -hmm. not so dark. We don't see the hope. And of mm -hmm. course, you know, it keeps me happily rooting for Stella and her journey. Yeah. And I like the idea that there's a whole village of people, a whole world of people who help her, that she yeah. can't, she can't like, you know, become her best self without all these other people helping her, not just to fight back, but to become a better person. I, I believe, you know, the whole, it takes a village is kind of an old fashioned phrase, but I just like the idea that people become who they are because of a community. The whole blue zone idea. I'm really into that right now, you know? I totally agree with you. And I, as I said earlier, we've talked many times amongst ourselves and we're both about inclusion and, and making society better and, and yeah. finding our tribe because it's important. And, you know, the way we all grow is through knowledge and experience and tribe because those things always make us a better person. Exactly. That's why friendship is such an important part of the book, too. I don't want Stella to be going through this alone. I think strong friendships can really help a person, especially when they're young. And I tried to model that for readers. Like, you have to have your friends. I agree. I think any young person who picks up the chaperone is going to see the hope in it. That's for sure. I hope so. Thank yep. you. Uh, yes. So do you have a website or social media you would like yes. to share? So my website is mhendrixwrites.com. And so I'm on um, Twitter. Uh, what is it called now? X. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, Instagram, TikTok, and Goodreads as mhendrixwrites. Now on Goodreads, just mhendrix. Right. Um, and I don't have an mhendrixwrites account on Facebook. I mostly focus on TikTok and Instagram. That is absolutely fantastic. M, thank you for joining me again. Again, the book is called The Chaperone. It is fantastic. Highly recommended. Oh, thank you so much, Dan. This is so fun. Thank you. Hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out with Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out with Dan.